Hello, this is Reb Brad, and you're listening to the Soccer Chaplains United podcast from the Touchline. I'm really pleased to have with me this week special guest Rod Underwood. This is part one of a four-part series. It's part of a longer interview that Rod and I did at the beginning of August. Rod, for those of you that don't know, is a former pro player. Currently, he's head coach of Chattanooga FC, a team that plays in NISA, the National Independent Soccer Association. It's a league here in the U.S., Chattanooga just won the NISA Independent Cup a few weeks ago, and they've been on a tear in the league. Rod also serves on the Soccer Chaplains United Board of Directors. A few weeks ago, he shared with us his personal mission statement, his life statement. He tries to live this out as he works as coach, husband, and father, and I thought it'd be great to have him on the podcast. Well, this week in part one, Rod talks about his early days in the game of soccer and how he came to play. From his mom taking on first-time coaching duties, all the way to the pro leagues back in the 90s. Rod has a wonderful journey that many of us familiar with soccer back in those days can relate to. So thanks for listening. We get underway right after this. He's found the space, and he's found the back of the net. Just a little off foot, thinking he's going to go far post. Not strong enough with his right hand. Whips that one in. Far post, almost made him in, and they have. He has the hat trick. The second in his career, the third of the night, the hat-trick hero. Talked about you're not going to be able to sustain that kind of pressure. To the corner, goes towards the near post, and you're on the angle, and what a goal! What a goal! All right, well, Rod, welcome to the podcast today. Great to have you on. Well, thank you for having me. Excited about it. Yeah, this is exciting. I think, Rod, you are the first um, you're the first board member. Uh, you're a board member for Soccer Chaplains United. I think you are the first board member to be on the podcast. So I don't. <laughs> OK, I wish I came with like a, a we should we should have a prize for you or, or something <laughs> or something. But um, Rod, for our listeners that may or may not know you, I, I mean, it's pretty easy to find you online and to read a little bit about you. But um, give us a little bit of your biography, a little bit of your life and story, and yeah, just kind of tell us like um, life growing up, football, soccer, how how you got involved in the game, and uh, and how some of this all began. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been involved in the game all my life, really. Um, I got involved when I was like uh, six years old or so, somewhere around there, like most soccer players these days. Um, but mine was all accidental because at that time, I mean, I never even saw what a soccer ball looked like. I didn't even know anything about soccer. And um, I was my neighbor. Um, they were they were football players, American football players. And my dad was a coach. He asked me to play on their team, but you had to meet a certain weight requirement. I was too little. So I didn't. I didn't play, and so I was not really not interested in playing anywhere else because that was my friend. And you know how you start young, you want to play on your friend's team, yeah. and yeah. especially your dad, right? You know, that's how most people get involved in sports, right? Through relationships and friendships, and it kind of it kind of grows from there. But uh, you know, within a short amount of time, I went to school and there's a big sign up that says play soccer. And I was at the age where I just want to do something, I want to play athletics. So, but, it, but it wasn't it wasn't basketball. It wasn't American football. Like you landed on soccer. That's that's just interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, it was I mean, in the world's eyes, it was just haphazard by chance. But we all know that doesn't exist. So, um, you know, it, it, I, that was definitely orchestrated by God for sure. But um, 
yeah, so I, I showed up and literally I had never seen a soccer ball in my whole life. I didn't know what a soccer, I didn't know what it was. I just knew it was a sport. Um, and then the difficult part came was nobody else knew what soccer was either. So there were no coaches. There was, it was nothing, right? But my mom and her friend stepped up to be the coach and they knew less than we did. <laughs> so, which we knew nothing. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it was a great experience. I mean, that's how it really got started. And um, I just remember like, because we, when we first moved to Atlanta from, I call Atlanta home, but I was actually born in New Orleans, but I grew up in Atlanta, right? I was, I, we moved there when I was pretty young. Uh, but, you know, my birthplace is New Orleans, but I grew up in Atlanta. Um, if you ever been to Atlanta, right? If you get off on Camp Creek Parkway where the airport is, we moved to these apartments and we those apartments are still there to this day. And this was like mm -hmm. in the early 70s. Wow. So, um, but uh, yeah, so, you know, and then after, I don't, I don't, I can't remember, probably a year or two, we stayed there. Then we moved out to the suburbs um, and soccer in the suburbs at that time was growing. It was big. Um, and I signed up to play soccer at the, at the local YMCA. Um, wow. And then I, I, you know, and then from there it was, you know, had these two coaches, uh, Mr. Gentry, and Mr. Clay, they were just like, they love sports. They love kids. Um, and they do anything for the kids. And it was around soccer. Right. Um, and to this day, right, they are like two guys that really believed in me and really just like helped me. And, you know, if um, when my parents couldn't take me to practice, take me to training, they were there. You know, I couldn't make it to games. They would come. Um, they really championed me all the way. And um, and then at that time, there was no middle school, right? In Atlanta, there was no middle school. So high school started eighth grade, right? So, so about that time I went to high school and then a guy by the name of, and in between that, lots of other coaches. I had a coach from uh, Argentina and he was just like, uh, he was like uh, a coach that what, same kind of coach, right? He knew the game, right? Grew up and born and raised in Argentina and, but he owned a landscaping business and all of us came from, you know, middle-class to, you know, we definitely didn't come from a lot of means, the guys on the team. So he owned a landscaping business. And, you know, at my age, there were really no rules about when you can work and not. Huh, okay. So we'd help him for the landscaping and pay for our soccer fees and any tournaments. That's how we survived, right? That's how we did it on that team. Um, and it was a pretty good little team. I mean, I can remember back getting the state championships. I can't remember if I won or not, but. We're always, we're always pretty good. And I remember going to regionals with that team and that kind of thing. And, um, but then when I got to high school, by then Carl Rosenbaum, he was, uh, he, he was really like, he was our, he was our teacher, but he was also a soccer guy. He went to George Washington university and in, in DC and he had been around the game. And, um, he just really like, he was the guy that really like supported me and, Really, he was the guy that really helped me get a scholarship to play at Furman, right? Because education was really important. And, you know, every, I can't remember everything from like writing the essay to get into school and taking the right classes. So you're going to be eligible to play. And um, 
have the opportunity to, you know, even take an SAT prep courses. He made sure that you were in those things. And uh, yeah, he was just like, but he was also just wanted you to be the best. And he really was the guy that championed me to really, you know, go to Furman. And Furman was, was a life changing experience because that was the first time I had went first time I had sort of really lived in a different world because Furman, you know, they say Furman is like, it's a very, at that time it was an expensive school and it's still expensive, but not like what it is to go to some of the Ivy League schools. But Furman was a school where in athletics, besides football and basketball, if you didn't have the grades, you couldn't get in. Mm. You know, you it just wasn't going to happen. So Now, Rod, um, you, you were the first African-American to play soccer at Furman. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. What, what yeah. was that like? I mean, are, are you talking about like you just – you showed up and it's just everybody's white or, or like, what was that? You know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't really like, I didn't, to be fair, I had no idea. Right. I mean, I only found out later when someone told me that, I mean, I was, because my life has always been like, my parents just, I mean, my parents were like, like my mom, she just taught us how to love people. And my dad taught us how to work hard. Right. That was just what it was. And there was really, no judgment of people, what they look like, who they were. It was just simply just be with people and just be interconnected just because we're people, right? And being in soccer at that time, there weren't very many Black players as a youth player. You didn't really play with many Black players, you know, not till like high school that that really started to change. And so I always grew up in that. I grew up in that environment of I was never, I was always the minority in the group. So going to Furman wasn't like anything new. So I just didn't notice anything. I mean, quite, I was oblivious. How, how did, I had no how idea. Did, how did the team treat you? I mean, did you feel like one of the team or did you feel like, um, you know, kind of outsider because of where you grew up and how you got there and where you came from? No, I didn't feel like an outsider at all. I mean, it was just the guy, John Tart. I mean, John Tart was like, John was a much more, much older than us. That's how I mean. My year at 1985 was the second year of athletic soccer scholarships at Furman. Oh wow! Okay. Um, yeah, so it was it, it was all starting new, right? It was new. John John had played at soccer at Furman, and he when he graduated, he got got the job, the coach. I mean, he wasn't much older than us. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was another guy. He just was a guy, right? He just treated us with the utmost respect and he did, it was like, you know, and then it also helped too. We kind of had a, at that time we had an international kind of team. We had a guy, a Welsh guy. um, And then we had a French guy. And so we all came from, from various backgrounds on the team. Right. Uh, So that helped. Right. And um, funny story, the guy that's the, uh, the Welsh guy, he's now the assistant manager at Crystal Palace with Patrick Vieira, (laughs) believe it or not. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, he's still a good friend. We still talk all the three talk fair amount. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, so that was just kind of the group of guys that we were, we were there. So I never felt like an outsider. Right. And maybe I was treated like an outsider, but I just learning from my mom and my dad is just like, just live, just live. That's all it was. Right. Um, but it was, I mean, it, it, it but it was a life changing experience because I got to to meet people from different backgrounds, different uh, different cultures, different socioeconomic 
economic standards that were much higher than mine. Um, so I learned a lot there. And um, that was like, that really sort of opened my eyes to like what life could be about and what you could achieve, right? That there was, you could, that sort of, my mom and dad was thinking, achieve anything you want to do. And they always instilled that in me and my sister. But it was just something that going there, you, you could see it became tangible, right? It became tangible that you could, you could achieve anything. So, so, so you, you get close to the end of your college experience. You, you're getting the degree. And I mean, what you tell mom and dad, Hey, I'm going to be a pro soccer player or, or, or how did it go from finishing at Furman? Did you, were, were you feeling a little bit of pressure? Like, you know, a lot of the guys I work with today, even sometimes mom and dad tell them like, Hey, when are you going to grow up and get a real job? Did you feel any of that from your folks or were they like, was your family, was everybody kind of supportive? And then, or, or what was that transition period like graduating from Furman and getting ready to step into the new challenge of the world? Cause I'm, I'm trying to think of the pro leagues that were around back then. There was nothing. I mean, the reality for me was, so I grew up in the, the big league was the NASL. So the New York Cosmos, you know, the LA Aztecs, you know, all these teams. So, you got to watch Pelé play. You got to watch, you know, the assistant manager who was at Man City, I think he's still there, Brian Kidd. You can go down the list of all these guys that you got a chance to watch and play. And so my dream was always to be a professional player. Hmm. But when I when I was coming to the end, there was really no professional opportunity besides indoor soccer, right? Indoor was where the money was. Indoor was – but even those, the big NASL indoor leagues – was really waning and then there was a new league that started up and then you know it was a team in Atlanta I tried out for that team and then my first year professional was the first year of outdoor soccer in 1990 for the USL that was the very first year so I went the guy he was a coach at Marshall University in West Virginia and we played them and he asked myself and the Welsh guy hey I'm going to get the job in Albuquerque New Mexico <laughs> never been to Albuquerque right yeah and uh and he said hey we want you we want you guys to come out and play right so we went to Albuquerque <laughs> what, what was that like back in the day because what this is like early 90s right this this is not, this is 1990 that, that was the first year wow so we were that was the first year but the league was really big because they had the old APSL or the whole A league and then they had the the USL, and that first year between a between the APSL, the A League, and um, and the USL, there's probably thirty teams east and west. It was massive. Okay, I mean, so give me an idea, right? So you think of the West Western Conference of MLS. Yeah, most of those teams are in. Most of those teams are in. You think of the Eastern Conference for MLS. Most of those teams are in. That's how crazy it is. Wow. People, wow. If you go do the history, right, you will really see it, right? And then you then you start to, like, go through the history of the USL. Like, Columbus had a USL team. So, you know, Cincinnati had a USL team. I remember wow. going to Cincinnati and playing, right? So you start to think about all this stuff. Colorado had a USL team. Colorado Foxes. Yeah, the Foxes. You know, yeah, you go down. I mean, it. There were teams everywhere, I and mean, there were teams everywhere. 
So, uh, so Rod, Rod, just to help our help our folks like get this, yeah. like how much are guys making? Like are they are they making a decent wage or are they like it all it all depends on what team you play for and who you were, right? For me and our team, I mean, we we did okay, right? We did we weren't we weren't making bank, but you know, we could pay our bills and we could have a little bit of money, right? So it wasn't like it was it wasn't like it was just crazy amount of money, but like even in those leagues, right? Eric Winalda was playing in the league at the time, right? So the San Jose Earthquakes, you know, you had guys like him in the league, right? On the East Coast, in the later years, you had guys like Chris Thomas and Tony Miola playing in the league, right? So it, it it wasn't like it was a shabby league, and just depend on where you where you where you lived, what team. Some teams are making fifty bucks a game, fifty bucks appearance fee, fifty bucks, um, fifty bucks if you win, right? And maybe if you're a striker, fifty bucks gold bones. So the best you could do is two hundred bucks a game, right? Mm, okay. But then there was other guys on monthly salaries making two, three, four grand a month at that time. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So now, it, now, it, now, are these are these teams too? Like I've heard some stories back in the day. Maybe maybe it was indoor, but I've heard some stories like guys going in the locker room halftime and lighting up a cigarette or, or chugging a beer back. Like, was it kind of like that or, or no, it was, it was I, more professional. I never, per- I never personally experienced that, but I've heard those stories. I mm-hmm. never saw it. never happened in our locker room. Okay. But I've heard the same stories. I've never personally, I've never personally seen it, but I mean, there were, there were definitely smokers, right? Not in our, not so much in our team, but other teams, right? I mean, you would see there were guys that were smokers, smoke at halftime, smoking before the game. You could see those things. But I never, like, saw it in our locker room. Okay. Okay. So so at what point – so so you're playing – how many years did you did you play the pro? I played six years professionally, yeah. Played okay. six and, years. And at some point, you, you start to change – you feel this inclination maybe toward coaching because you were a player coach for a little bit, weren't you? Well, hey, everyone, Rev Brad here. Thanks for listening. We're going to stop right there next week, part two. Rod's going to talk about going from player to coach and how his journey with soccer and his love for the game continues to grow to what it is today. So join us again next week. Thanks for listening. This is Rev Brad coming to you from the Touchline.